Amen. This morning we're finishing Ephesians. And we're finishing what I think is, is potentially the greatest book. Well, I always say the greatest book is the one that we're currently studying. So the greatest book that we've studied so far as a church that we've dove into. And here's the big idea of Ephesians, that we've been made alive. And Paul writes these first three chapters so that we might understand what God has done for us. Not what we've done for him, but what he's done for us. And it's this story of God's grace, that by grace alone we have life, that we are made alive, that we were dead on the bottom, see, see where? The ocean floor. And that he makes us alive. And that we sing songs like this, I believe, because we have something that we corporately, as a community, believe together. And it is this, that we've been made alive. That we have new life. And Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, these group of believers that a lot of them are baby Christians. A lot of us at our church are new believers. We're, we're, we're brand new to what it means to treasure Christ. Maybe we've been away from the church for a long time. And we've just come back. And my prayer is that God has used this study to allow us to understand what we believe, why we believe what we believe, and how we might live. But you know, there's an antithesis to this book, and it's called the Winchester House. Anyone ever heard of the Winchester House down in San Jose? This house that's really well-known, but it's not well-known because of its beauty necessarily. It's well-known because of the lack of plan that went into the Winchester house. Here's a couple of the stats for the Winchester house. It's, it's from the, the manufacturer of the gun and the woman, the widow of the Winchester fortune that started to build this house. And they said it was part of her mourning process, was building this home. I can think of better ways to mourn. But if you want to build a home that's 24,000 square feet, maybe that's one way to mourn. So 24,000 square feet, 160 rooms, 40 staircases, six kitchens, 47 fireplaces, and ladies, you'll love this, one working restroom. Sounds like a perfect home, right? It's foolish. And now it's not even a residence. Now it's a museum that you can go down to San Jose and go watch and go tour and go walk through the halls that lead you absolutely nowhere and be flabbergasted by the reality of why did somebody do this? Why did someone create this? And nobody knows. And I think Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus and to us in El Dorado Hills as an antithesis to the Winchester house. He says, God created you to be a spiritual house, that every room has a purpose, that every hallway leads somewhere, that every door has an objective to move us one step closer to Christ. And we just sang three songs that actually have been our theme songs of Ephesians chapter one through three, that it's by grace alone that God gives us this. And this is a picture of the house that that is just magnificent and huge and large. But the prayer for us as a church is that as God builds us as a community of faith, that no one ever looks at us confused as to what we're all about. That no one ever looks at us as a church and says, so why does that exist? That everything that we do is on purpose. And Paul made it much easier for us as a church because he gave us the blueprints. He gave us the right thinking. He gave us the theology in chapters one through three so that we then might actually live rightly. And that's what chapters four through six have been all about. So here's my goal for us this morning. My goal for us this morning is maybe you're brand new to Vintage Grace and you haven't read Ephesians more than last week. Or maybe it's your first week and you're like, wait, we're finishing a book? I had no idea. Well, you've missed nine months of what we've been preparing for for this day. 
And my prayer is whether it's your first or your second Sunday, or you've been with us from the very beginning, that we can reflect back on Ephesians this morning and think about how God has created an incredible floor plan that we call Vintage Grace. A joy-filled community of faith that's made up of joy-filled individuals, and it starts with understanding the architect, with understanding why did God do what he did. So if you have your Bibles, pull it out. We're going to cover Ephesians in one morning. And now you're wondering, why did we spend nine months? Because you're going to be cheated. If you're just here this morning, I'd encourage you to go back and read the book on your own because you're going to be cheated from the richness of what we had. But here's where Paul started in chapter one. And if you have your icons, if you have your worship notes, you can pull those out and kind of follow along and take some mental notes as what was God doing in these chapters. But in chapter one, three through 10, it says this, Paul starts by saying, this is all about God. Blessed be God. This starts with him. This is from him. This is through him. This was God's master plan. What's amazing about the Winchester house is they kept asking the lady, the, the, the architect, the designer, the woman that put all the money forward, because rumor had it, they worked for 30 years straight on this home. They just kept working. She's like, well, now let's do this. And now let's do this. And now let's do this. Here's what Paul's point is in chapter one. God's plan was from the foundation of time and it wasn't haphazard. It wasn't unintentional. So Paul starts the book by saying, blessed be God. God had this plan at the beginning of time. And what did that plan include? Who was he thinking about at creation? Us. You and me and God was thinking about you at the beginning of time. And it says in verse four that he chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. He chose us in love. He adopted us through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he blessed us with in the beloved. At the beginning of time, Jesus and God, the father and the Holy Spirit, three in one thought of you. They saw you in your sin. They saw you in the beauty of creation that God would create you in. And they saw the times that we would settle for less. In fact, the icon, if you remember, that we used for chapter one was actually a cross. Because at the beginning of creation, when God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit created the world and thought of us, they knew that we were going to break relationship. So God, being rich in mercy is the word that we saw in chapter one, he redeemed us. He gave us enlightenment. He helped us to see because if you're dead on the bottom of the ocean floor, you don't know it. Talked to someone just this past week that was sharing with me the reality of they don't know when they became a Christian. All of a sudden they realized. I said, that's chapter one. That's enlightenment. They realized that God loved them, that he cared for them, and that that was the plan from the very beginning of the world. And because of God's plan, we are heirs. We've talked a lot this series about what's our calling And we think of what job do we do? But if you go back to chapter one, what's our calling according to Paul? Uh Uh-oh. What's the only calling that matters in this world? Uh Uh-oh. I know it was a long time ago. That we're sons. That we're daughters. That we were, that we were loved, not because of what we've done, but because he chose us, because he cared for us. And because of that, we're confident. And in chapter one, it was all about the confidence that God's given us because of the cross. It's not a confidence in us. It's a confidence in the cross. And then we went to chapter two, which became kind of a theme chapter of even our our church at an early phase. Remember in chapter two, verses one through three, chapter one is because of the cross and because of the calling and the love that God has for us. And then in chapter two, it was all about the wrench and the wrench was our icon and the work of God in our lives. Remember chapter two, verses one through three, and you were what? dead. 
That's why we sing the song, Made Alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We had settled for less. We had broken covenant with a perfect holy God. And then my favorite verse in Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4. But God. We were dead, but God found us and saw us in the reality of our sin and our mess. And he loved us at the beginning of time, and he loved us in the mess, and he loved us enough to not leave us in the mess because the cross was always a part of his plan. So, but God loves us and he created us. And the work of God was not just to save us, but was to redeem us and to use us. Remember verses eight through 10, that God loved us in such a way for by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's the work of God. It's the gift of God. God did the work. And I love verse 10 for we are his what workmanship. God does the work so that we might do the work, but he's doing the work in us. So there's no pressure. We don't have to live with a performance-based religion because performance-based religion would lead us to hell what we deserve but God. And in 2.4, we saw that he didn't just save us from hell, but he saved us for work, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which who prepared beforehand? God. This was never about us. It's why chapter one started with God and chapter two is all about God so that we should walk in them. So if you remember our icon from chapter two, we were dead, but now we're alive and that's a work of God. And as a work of God, we are saved and we are transformed. And what I love about chapter two is now we see this unity. We see this family. You guys know that you're a choir. You guys sang really well this morning. And I don't mean just because you're a professional singer, but the joy it brought me, and that's only a fraction of the joy I think it brought God, to sit here in the front row and listen to you sing, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit three in one. That's what we believe as a church. We believe that God made us alive, and that brings us unity. That brings us a, as a family. Because what does Reggie have that I have? We're children of God. Now, he might be better looking. He might be smarter. He might be more active. There might be all sorts of things that separate me and Reggie. But the one thing that binds us together is that we are family, that we were dead, and now we're alive. And there's a unity. It doesn't matter what your past is. It matters what your present is. And your presence in Christ is saved, transformed, redeemed. And that's who we are as a church. And then we went to chapter 3. You remember chapter 3? Chapter 3, verse 7, it says this, Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the power of God's grace, which was given to me. Remember who Paul was? A persecutor of the church? We looked at his credentials in Philippians a year ago, but this was the man that wanted to do death to Jesus. But to me, I'm the very least of all the saints. Grace was given to me. And grace is what we have as a church in spades. Grace is what we get as individuals, this joy-filled community of faith. We get grace. And because of the grace that Paul got, he went and preached grace, the unrich, unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. Read this with me. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here was God's plan in chapters one through three. Here was God's plan before the world created. Here was God's plan. He created you to be in relationship with you. We broke that relationship by settling for less, by putting other things on the throne of our life, other people on the throne of our life, sometimes good things, sometimes gifts from him, but God redeemed us and saved us and loved us from that so that he would use us as a church to display his love to the world. 
Guys, this is our calling as a church. This is what God has done in us and through us, and he's built us together as a spiritual house. Anyone see the houses you walked in this morning? All these different names, all these different things that represent one God, one faith, one unity, so that we would be used, so that the world would see. Now, I want to go back to this. Might be made known to who? To the rulers and the authorities. Where are they? Not the government of El Dorado, not the government of our state. Who needs to be known about this? Who needs to have this revealed to them? The angels. The heavenly realms. There's this beauty and this reality of what's taking place. First Peter calls it this, that the angels in First Peter chapter 1 look down with awe and wonder as to what it looks like to be dead and now be alive. Can you picture that? Right now, I'm convinced over these last nine months we've been studying Ephesians, the angels have looked down and they've wondered in awe and in worship because the angels were created holy beings, right? They don't know what it's like to be dead and now made alive. They don't, want, they don't know what it's like to be sustained by grace alone, to have the breath in their lungs only because of Jesus. And they look down and they see Scott and they see Drew and they see Bob and they see Vince and they see this gathering of people who are dead and are now alive. And they say, this is glory. This is grace. This is incredible. And this is what we do as a church. And this is according to God's eternal purpose. Because unlike the Winchester house, God always had a plan. Unlike the Winchester house, which said, well, maybe we need another bathroom. God's not sitting around going, well, well, what am I going to do now with with the soda stroms? What am I going to do now with the Magdas? God's always had a plan, and it was to love you. And it was to have you be a part of making his love known. And that's why I'm a pastor. That's why we're a church. Because it is the best way to display the manifold wisdom of God, Paul tells us in chapter 3. And this was the icon that we used, that it was this present. That we as a church in El Dorado Hills are intended to be a present. For who? For the world. For the world to see the love of God in us, for the world to see the transforming power of God, that we would be gospel reflectors, that we would be united in that love, and that we would be strengthened, that God would be glorified. And chapter three ended this way. Do you remember how chapter three ended? We wrote a song about it. Chapter three, verse 20. Paul says this, understand this plan. God created us. It was all about the cross. We blew it, but God loved us anyways and redeemed us and restored us. And he put us together as a church to display his manifold wisdom. And then Paul prays in chapter three, and here's his prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, which made us dead and now alive, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all of his people said, amen. So this was our prayer at the end of chapter three months ago, was that God would do a work in our lives as individuals and as a church. And many of us weren't even here for chapters one through, who wasn't here for chapters one through three? Be brave. You're the result of this prayer. I want you to think about that. We pray that God would do far more abundantly, that God would bring you more joy. We're assuming that you're here not for the donuts. We're assuming that you're not at Vintage Grace as a church for the comfy chairs, right? You're not here because of the facilities. You're not here because the lights and lasers. You're here because you want more joy in Jesus, right? So we prayed that God would do a work in our little church that more people 
How many more people? How many more people, church? Immeasurably more. Now, it depends what the timer is, right? I mean, at one point it was 250, and then it was three, and then it was 350, and now it's four. But don't let numbers stop you. Now, Dan was able to do far more abundantly than we ever ask or think according to, to whose power? God's power. Because if it's about our power as a church or as a staff or as life group leaders or as elders, guess what? We are in trouble. But according to his power, which is at work within us, for his glory, forever and ever, amen. Father God, we come before you this morning and we asked you months ago to do work. And this morning, we celebrate you. We celebrate the fact that you took us in our sin and you loved us before our sin and you loved us in our sin and you love us after our sin and that you've created us a joy-filled community of faith so that we might find more joy in you and so that others who are perishing apart from you would see that joy in us and treasure you for the first time. So God, we asked you to do immeasurably more and this morning we continue to ask that you would do far more than we would ever possibly dream or imagine. And may this morning be a testament to your grace and of your glory we ask these things.